The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Aarons-Mealy, host of The Anxious Achiever, and this is my bi-weekly LinkedIn Live, where I continue the conversation around mental health and work with some of the best business leaders out there. Welcome to my bi-weekly LinkedIn Live with Nihar Chaya, executive coach, top 100 Marshall Goldsmith coach. Today, Nihar and I dive into what I like to call the triangle of doom, Three words, envy, shame, and scarcity. These are natural feelings that most of us experience, but they can drive us into a perpetually anxious state, and they can really hamper our work and productivity. But understanding what's making you envious and why can be enlightening, and you can learn from it too. Whether we're self-employed or we're trying to make it big within an organization, envy is a natural human emotion, and it's part of the way that most workplaces are designed today. What's worse, many of us operate in a digital and professional landscape that's literally designed, as social media apps are, to drive jealousy and FOMO. And so... Nihar and I try to be honest about these feelings, share our own experiences, but also look at the way that when you understand what's making you envious, you can understand more about what you want in your career. Hello. Hey, Moira. How's it going? Good. I was a little shambolic in starting our talk today because I just was like overbooked this morning. So... (laughs) I totally get it. It feels like everything is compressed this week because of the holiday. I don't know if that's what you've been feeling. Yes. Well, I just got back from London actually yesterday. Oh, wow. So I'm jet lagged as well, but that's okay. Well, hopefully you'll be able to relax during the vacation. Yes. And I'm so happy to be on with you. And the amazing thing I want to share with the audience is that we've gotten such a great reception from these and we've put them on the podcast feed for the anxious achiever and they've been really popular. So that makes me feel super happy that I guess people want to hear our advice. Yeah, for sure. Well, already you have a great, great uh, content platform there. So I'm just happy that we can contribute to it. Yeah. And our mutual friend, Dory Clark, who is such an expert at sharing, has suggested a few ways that we can create even more engagement with the lives. And um, I I love everything Dory does. She's such a master of all this stuff. But um, so shout out to Dory if you're listening. But I want to tell the audience that please feel free to comment. This is your time Tell us where you're joining from. Tell us how you're feeling this week as we in the U.S. at least get ready for sort of like a holiday feeling week the next few days and um, bring us your questions. For sure. Yeah, please feel free to, to chime in there and uh, let us know how we can help. So you just started a newsletter called Enviable. Yes. Tell us about this, because yeah. today we're going to talk about envy, FOMO, mm-hmm. jealousy, and anxiety. And the question that we're going to bring to the table 
is one that I really love. And it's a question that I hear quite a bit when people feel comfortable and something I brought to you, which is help. I'm a manager and I feel envious or sometimes even threatened by the accomplishments of people on my team. Mm -hmm. What should I do? Yep. Yep. And we had so spoken about that HB article I wrote about um, when you're kind of outshining, your employees outshining you. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think a few things around this topic. One is it's actually a little bit more common than I think we would expect. I think people don't necessarily talk about it, but mm -hmm. it certainly is something that I think is, you know, not even that um, unexpected or out far from reality, if you think about it, right? Most of us are high achievers. Uh, you are <laughs> looking to build a team that is going to be better than you in many ways. That's kind of the theoretical way that you would actually build, you know, be an effective leader. So at some point you might start doubting whether you are even needed uh, as a leader anymore and are people <laughs> trying to angle for your position, you know? And so I think the idea of being a little bit insecure about that is something to first embrace and to be aware of that it's, it's, it's okay. It's natural. Um, and then, you know, speaking of the newsletter, you know, what I, I called it enviable because essentially what I'm trying to do is transform our mindset from a place of envy or <clears throat> kind of coveting what other people have or feeling insecure, really feeling behind to feeling from a place, feeling like, you know, I, where, where I am right now, I can lead from there. Mm. Uh, you know, in other words, if I'm a follower or I'm feeling behind, actually there's people behind you as well. And it, I think, you know, they're looking at you as an enviable person. They're looking at you as, wow, Maura has this enviable podcast. You know, she has this enviable book. Wow, she's in this enviable position of amazing mastery. And how does she get there? And how does she do all these things? And I think we lose sight of that when we start focusing our energies on what we don't have or what other people are having. And mm -hmm. I also believe that like in my experience, it's not always really about envy in the sense like I want what other people have because I think I'm pretty smart enough to know that I probably don't want to have their life. I'm pretty happy with most of what I'm doing. It's just that you start being curious about, wow, is their life better or or should I have been making different decisions in the past? But the reality is, if you look inwards and less outwards, you you find that it's more of a symptom of insecurity, maybe low self-esteem, maybe just fear about the unknown. And also, in some case for high achievers, it might even be a fascination with what if I could work in a different way or harder or towards new goals. And I think when you move it from a place of lack to a place of, you know, kind of abundance and really I have a lot to offer, you can become that and that definition of an enviable person in your work and life. And then, you know, you can take away that sting of feeling as if I'm just sitting in this place of, of uh, wanting and, and, and desiring something else. Right. From feeling behind to feeling where you you're you are where you're meant to be. Yeah. Jocelyn, hi from Santa Fe. Um, we've got an anonymous user from Sydney, Canada, and Christine from Central Illinois. Hi. Bring us your questions. We'd love to answer them. You know, it seems to me though, by calling your newsletter enviable, you are making a statement that being enviable is something we should maybe want to be and feeling envy is a natural feeling. It, it is. And I also try to take pains to distinguish the word enviable from envied. In other mm. words, I don't believe the goal here is to become envied. I think what happens a lot of times is that uh, in our initial impulse to try to catch up, 
we're thinking, oh, okay, if I feel as if like I'm behind that person, I want to get to where they are so that I can feel as if like I'm not as envious anymore and I'm envied. I, when I think about the word enviable, I think of it as a more objective measure of just generally being secure with where you are. And because it's not just being proud and, and, you know, being admired by other people, maybe there's envy, but there's usually a, a part of admire, admiration, but I'm also proud of myself. Like I'm admiring myself and how I'm approaching this issue. So for instance, if I'm an, if I'm a leader who feels outshone by their employee, um, if I decide to retaliate or become passive aggressive, I might be successful in that, in that end, but it doesn't feel great, you know? But if I take the enviable route, what I'm thinking about here is how do I actually take that energy and transform it into something that's going to uplift me and also give praise to them? And mm -hmm. so how do I start building a followership for them or even opportunities for them to, to get to where they need to be, but use that for, for, to catalyze momentum for myself? And that feels more enviable because mm. it feels like something that we can all objectively say, that feels pretty good. Like I could admire that as a leader because I'm not, it's not a short-term gain or a personal agenda. It's actually something that uplifts everybody around them. I love that. I also, I'm going to define terms really quick. So envy is defined as a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. So that is really, it's, it's that resentful wish of what someone else has. Jealousy is interesting. Jealousy means unpleasant suspicion or an apprehension of rivalship. So that feels much more sort of interpersonal. And then I gotta, I gotta throw in FOMO, which mm -hmm. I think is so particular to the moment we live in, which is fear of missing out, but I think is the feeling of why, why am I not invited to that party? Why wasn't I considered for that special event or promotion? You know, it's that sense of, is, is there something wrong with me? You know, Mindy Kaling wrote a book called Why Is Everyone Else Hanging Out Without Me? And I, right, right. <laughs> so, I love that title. <laughs> hi, Mika, joining from California. Hi, everyone. Throw us your questions in the comments, please. Um, I want to throw something else in. I, I just did a talk an hour ago. And we were talking about perfectionism and, and the anxiety and, and, and what happens when you have an organization or a team of very high achievers who are all conditioned to always do their best and to put so much emotional effort and emotional investment in outcomes. And someone commented and said, you know, what if you don't have the luxury of letting go on the perfectionism or letting up for a second? What if you don't have any resources and you come from a place of scarcity and you feel that that sort of driven, almost envy driven a hundred percent all the time is what you have to give. Or maybe you're masking, you're a minority in an organization and you feel like you cannot let up. Mm. I thought that was a really, really powerful frame on this sense of, of me saying, you know what? Everyone isn't always out to get you. You don't have to be perfect all the time. This person was saying, I actually don't think that's true for some people. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it reminds me of, uh, it's a post I literally just put out yesterday um, about the tyranny of the should. <laughs> uh, and it's like this, this, uh, what I'm hearing is that she believes there's a should behind, I have to do these things. And I, 
I was fascinated by by doing some research on this. There's a psychoanalyst named Karen Horney who um, uh, came up with this phrase in 1950, like a long time ago. And she talked about, and then people have built on that in terms of, you know, uh, Albert Ellis, who pioneered cognitive behavioral therapy, called it masturbation. Uh, so must, and also shitting yourself. Um, so these are like colloquial ways that he's talked about it too. And he uses CBT to kind of challenge those thoughts. You and I have done some discussions and you wrote a great article on HBR about the cognitive traps that we fall into. And really the idea there is to say, but is it really true that I have to be perfect? You know, have I ever found an opportunity, even like 0.1% example where I was successful without being perfect? If that's true, even to like the smallest per part, then it's a false uh, should, basically. Mm -hmm. It's a false belief, right? Um, and I talked a little bit about how once you're able to cognitively get the sense that that's not always true, can you actually give yourself some compassion and also have some courage to start challenging that a little bit. But, you know, with that particular example of your friend, um, I, I would say to if I'm in, under the, the tyranny, the should, that perfectionism, is it possible to um, recognize that that's okay also to feel really like this pressure and then just gently find examples, experiments, basically, to say, okay, you know, maybe it's not as, as crazy as I thought. Because a lot of this also is an inward way that we're perceiving the world. Like I've always very fascinated also about perfection of that that perfectionism that's outward. Like if I'm a boss, that I need perfectionism from you, or perfectionism inside me, and it and a lot of that can really be you know kind of unpacked just by really thinking differently and reframing things. Yeah, right. If you have that sort of self-driven perfectionism or other-driven perfectionism, yes. or even socially driven perfectionism, right? Mm -hmm. Which is where you are literally in an organization where the messages you get are that you must be perfect or you're bad. Yes. See, yes. I have I have kind of a cynical take on all of this, which is that, and especially if you're thinking about the question of what if someone who works for me starts to out outshine me and I feel envious of them, which is that. Envy is built into the culture of striving we all subscribe to. We can't deny it, right? If, if envy, I'm going to look at the definition again, if envy is truly a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck, to me, that feels like work. <laughs> mm -hmm, <laughs> that mm -hmm. feels like the organization. And so my question is, you know, do we just need to acknowledge that this is a piece of it? You know, I mean, this is the rat race and we're subscribing to it versus trying to do CBT or like deny those impulses. Right. I, well, it's interesting because there's been a lot of work on kind of parsing out envy from benign envy to malicious envy. Mm. And so, uh, and I'm not, I don't remember exactly the researchers around this, but the work that's out there has talked about how envy, if you look at, you know, um, just the, at a very colloquial way of saying, you know, I kind of want what they have. Malicious envy would be like, I want them to fail. Benign envy would be like, oh, I want them to succeed, but I want to also succeed. You know, I, I actually want it, want the best for them, but I want the best for myself as well. And so with benign envy and really particularly with this newsletter that I'm, that I'm building, like, I really believe in the idea of, um, the power of envy towards learning more about your values. 
and learning more about what matters to you. Like, so for instance, if you can sit there and, you know, you go through LinkedIn and let's say you find something that triggers an envy, a feeling of envy in you, um, stepping back and saying, what is that really telling me about what I want? You know, mm -hmm. like maybe it's because I never even knew that was possible and that person's doing it. I'm like, wow, that's an interesting endeavor. Um, initially I might feel like bad and, and I feel I might feel like behind or like, why didn't I get that? Or, or should I have been doing something differently with my life? But in reality, we, we our consciousness is so limited to whatever's in front of us right now. And so if we, this to me, this is like new information. With this new information, could I potentially start building on that curiosity and learning more about what is that about? Is that something that I that might might be interested in in pursuing? Does, does that match my values? And then you're like, if I didn't look at that and feel bad, I might not even have thought about going on that path. So in some ways, it's almost like a blessing and a, and a curse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And can you look at it more of a blessing? and manage those kind of um, reactions so that you can make it more constructive than actually self-destructive. That's a really non-judging approach to feeling envy. Mm -hmm. And I like that. Yeah. Uh, listeners, if you have if you have tips and hacks to sort of yeah. get get in touch with your envy, I, I would love to hear them. I think I think the thing that um, that I struggle with is that I accept that by signing up for the life that I've signed up for, which is basically, you know, trying to make a living off my ideas. Um, I'm in an, I'm in an envy race every single day because it's a competitive economy and people are always doing better than me, right? Their ideas have more currency. Their books are selling better. Their LinkedIn posts are going more viral, whatever. And so I've sort of reached peace with. I've signed up for envy to be a currency in my life. This piece that I struggle with is what I call feeling like there's more pie to go around, right? Is, the, is that, and envy isn't a zero sum game. It isn't someone else has won and you've lost. It's, wow, they're, they seem like they're winning at this. How do I win a little bit more? Or to your point, this is something I do want to win at. How do I go for it and sort of erase some of that anxiety. It's mm -hmm. all about the underlying anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there is more pie to go around or do you sense that that's where the cynicism comes from? Uh, well, and um, Jocelyn, is there a gendered component to this? Some research says girls are socialized to keep power status always equal and boys are socialized to compete in a hierarchy. That is interesting. I think that is true. There is definitely a gendered component to feeling scarcity. I think also there's a minority component, right? Whenever you're outside access to, to traditional power, you perceive more scarcity. Um, right now, I worry that there isn't more pie. I think that the economy, the layoffs, the sense that budgets are getting cut, right? It's our human condition in times of cutting back our anxiety then comes in and says, I better get this because otherwise Nihar will and there's not enough for both of us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I remember when I first started my business, a lot of folks would tell me like, you know, oh, you need to have an abundance mindset and don't think so small. And like if, if for instance, I didn't want to, um, you know, partner with some people because I want to start my own thing and have the patience to build my own brand. They'd be like, oh, you don't understand. There's really power in collaborating. But the truth is that you still have to know what, what works for you. You know, it, for me, I know that I didn't want to build like a big company. I want to build my own brand. Um, I had to make those decisions to say, 
yes, it's scary going on my own, but it also is going to pay off in the long term. Um, and so you have to kind of believe in your own value on that thing. But I do believe that uh, it's, I think everybody has their own view on scarcity from their own lens, yeah. you know? It's some very personal. It is. And some people who are looking to get in your pie might be like, hey, have an abundance mindset, you know? <laughs> so, you know, but what I will say is that one thing that I do believe is is a possible option for those of us that are, again, looking to move from envy to enviable is, can you build a new playing field? You know, so you might not be invite, invited to this game, but can you go and create the, a new game? Uh, you know, and then that's where you build up a new community and kind of become that leader there. And again, there's probably going to be, a, 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 um, sorry, a, a opportunities or moments when you feel that people are taking over and they're going to outshine you. But I do think that it's a, it's always a possibility to think about building more elsewhere. You know, it's like nowadays, I, I think the word portfolio career comes up a lot where people say, I don't want to just have one job. I want to build a portfolio career. I think it's the same concept. You know, it's like if I'm competing in this one area and I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere, let me go and create a whole new competition where, that I can start having a little bit of an advantage in. I love that so much. I, I have two things I want to say about that. One is it's a great exercise, actually, to define your own playing field. And again, this comes back to your values, right? What do I want to stand for? What are my goals? What is my playing field? And that way, you can say when you we talked about this last time, when you start to look over your shoulder, nope, I'm not looking over my shoulder, I'm staying focused on my yard lines or whatever sports metaphor. I love that. And I would recommend that everybody sit down and write down their personal mission statement, values, goals, because having that definition to come back to is such an antidote to when the anxiety of envy starts to hit. Um, and the second thing I, I want to say, and I want to come back to leadership, is that, you know, when you feel envy striking as a leader, redefine your playing field. I, I learned early on that actually hiring people who were smarter than me and having them outshine me was going to be one of the leadership things I stood for and wanted to be known for. That rather than feeling anxious and upset when someone on my team had a better idea or was smarter or got noticed by someone else in the organization, I wasn't going to feel threatened. I was going to feel like, yeah, that's my person. Yeah. And so I think that there are ways. I love this idea of redefining your playing field. Anyway, I would love to hear from the audience too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, please, please chime in. And, and you know, one thing I'll just build on that. A lot of this depends on also who are we assess who are we deciding is going to be the evaluator of success. So, you know, when you're leading that that person and you're letting them become smarter than you and more successful than you, um, they would love that. You know, they would embrace that, I, I would imagine. And so in their eyes, you're being an amazing leader. When we think they're outshining us, is that because we're thinking what is my boss going to think or what is the other other colleagues going to think as if they, you know, are, and then you start questioning, do they even deserve an opinion on this? Because I'm a leader, right? Yeah. I want to lead the way I want to lead. I don't really have, shouldn't even care really whether they think of me as better or worse than my direct report. But I really think that what happens is we get swept into who is the judge 
of what we're trying to do. And then we start thinking about the envy based on that metric. Whereas if we think about being enviable or becoming successful or whatever it might be based on those values and based on, like you said, how you want to lead, that actually you're you're doing something so great that they should be following your example, <laughs> right? So it's it's such an interesting kind of, it, it's a very, um, you know, like a, a chicken before the egg kind of thing, you know, it, it, not not clear whether you're doing this as a reaction to what they want or because of what you want. But, it, but essentially what we do know, I think, is if we're feeling really at our best, it's usually because we're honoring a value. And if we're mm-hmm. feeling really drained, it's because we're stepping on a value. And so I think there's something there around just holding on to what that mission statement or the values that you mentioned are. And that generally gives you a little bit of a path forward. Yeah. Um, how do you help clients define who they do want to be judged by? I mean, we're human. So yeah. we, we, we accept that we want to be judged. And I think it's such a maturing process to be able to say, don't give a shit about their opinion, mm-hmm. really care about their opinion. Like, how do you evaluate that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it, it's so hard to tell because sometimes you know, you might feel like I want people to like me, but then you might also say, well, I don't really care if they like me. I just want to make sure I have a job, you know, mm-hmm. or I have autonomy or whatever those values are. Um, and again, I do think that some people do fall into different degrees of people pleasing, for instance, uh, versus being able to just sit in their uh kind of confidence that I don't really care if people don't like me, but I'm going to get what I need. So again, I think it goes back to also being very clear on what are the things that motivate and drive you. I have leaders that will say to me, you know, I don't really want to ever be a a CEO or successful in the the sense of the title. I just want to know that I have a a, a job that I'm learning and, or, you know, I'm constantly growing in. But the next guy might say, oh, that's a nightmare for me. Like I need to have the power. I need to have the recognition. I need to have the wealth, you know, all those kinds of things. And I think um, sometimes just even being honest with yourself that that's important because a lot of people, I I find that people don't really want to admit that that's really important, like the power and the recognition and the wealth. Once you get past that hump and be able to own it, then you can start opening up yourself to help and ideas and resources. Uh, but I think until you get really clear with that with yourself, I think you're just kind of playing this game where you're constantly insecure or you're kind of lurking around LinkedIn, like what are other people doing? But you're not really using that energy to kind of get help or to kind of meet, make connections and start actually building something on that. I, I think that's true. And I, I think both you and I would agree that, you know, you have to be who you are. Yeah. And if power and money are important to you, that's fine. Don't mm-hmm. beat yourself up and try to cover it up and fake altruism. Nobody exactly. is going to believe you when you say what you really want to do is change the world and what you really want is a Tesla. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And they don't even know how to help you then, you right. know, if, if you don't really know what to ask for. Right. So if you want a Tesla, you know, actually, it's, it's funny because when I was in a, a doom spiral of envy, I have to admit recently, mm-hmm. I just, um, you know, it's funny. <laughs> My friend Lori just wrote, you're in post book on we just go take a break, take a vacation. But, <laughs> you know, it's, it's really hard after you put so much effort into something like a book to not then feel when your life is just normal and everything hasn't changed, mm-hmm. like you failed and to look at everyone else and look at them and be like, wow, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. have every, they have everything that I want and I fail because there's a fair amount of shame and self-judgment involved too. Totally. And so 
I did what I always do, which is I made a numbers chart. Hmm. Am I hitting my numbers? Wow. Okay. I said to myself, Maura, you can feel all the envy and shame you want, but are you hitting the numbers that you need to be hitting? Oh, that's really cool. So that, that works for you. It helped. It really yeah. helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny how we all deal with it differently. Because <sighs> in my mind, I would almost say to my, I, I would, um, the, I get wrapped up in this feeling of I shouldn't be feeling this way. And so I keep pushing it away. Yeah. Uh, and so even if I was hitting the numbers, I'd still be like, this is wrong. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so, so for me, it's almost as if like I have to, um, I don't know, in some ways, I almost have to start discounting the dream a little bit. I have to start even as saying this wasn't even that big of a deal. Like, you know, it's 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 almost like making myself feel like I'm protecting myself from the failure. Wow. It's a really weird thing. I mean, it's all probably based in in a lot of childhood messages that you almost don't want to be too successful. Huh. Like I grew, I grew up in a family where it was like, you're not supposed to brag. You're not supposed to show off. You're never supposed to be the loud one in the room. Um, and so in some respects, in a weird unconscious way, I almost look at success as something I shouldn't be owning and wanting. And so if I'm failing at it, I know I'm failing at it, but I also almost tell myself like, oh, well, good, good. You're still right. You're taking yourself down a notch, and that's a good thing. Stay humble. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but it's a it's a whole mind mess, you know, that happens. <laughs> I think there's a generational component, and I remember we talked about this. And coming back to the question of, you know, what if I what if I feel envious of someone who works for me? Is there there's an element of social media and performance in here too? You know, I think it's very easy for a lot of people to feel that their colleague is on the speaking circuit or their colleague is being asked to weigh in as a thought leader. Their colleague has a page on LinkedIn, is a top voice, whatever. And, and they're not. And that spikes envy. And my, my question is, again, is this a question of defining your values and saying, is this important to me? Well, then I'll figure out a plan. Like it, it can feel very, very emotional. Um, and so much, almost sort of like random what makes us envious. Totally. And, and, you know, I, I have to also add that when you said social media, God, it's so, it's so random and it's also so ubiquitous, you know, like everywhere. A perfect example is I was actually texting a buddy of mine just this morning and we were talking about how, um, whether thought leadership and being that kind of, you know, like a, branded voice, top voice, whatever those kind of things is the thing you want, or do you want more money? Because those things aren't always correlated. No, you know? I'll tell you what they're <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, so the thing is, and then you'll, you'll run across people who are making a, a, so much money, but nobody's heard of them, you know, or they're, or maybe they're not really in that kind of, that, that kind of circle of the, the top uh, branded people. And so, I don't know what the answer is. All I know is that you constantly feel like you're out of it. You're, you mm -hmm. feel like you're behind because of the next thing that showed you that they had this, you're like, is that a club I should be part of? You know what I mean? Is that a, a level that I need to, to aspire to? So then I would say the answer for that is a lot of times it's, it's really reducing the, the um, triggers. You know, it's really taking a break from all the inputs that are coming in. Uh, if you can't manage it, you know, and the thing is, I think I would imagine that you are the same here because we're both very thoughtful people. I think anxiety happens to a lot of people who are who think a lot and maybe deeply. 
we're curious people too. And so it's, it's a, it's a, a double-edged sword. You're curious because you want to learn more, but in the process, you learn about a lot of things you don't, you don't really want to waste your time with or even hear, right? So if I'm not ready to hear the truth, I need to stop kind of asking for that all the time, <laughs> you know, and just manage that a little bit. I would literally turn off your push notifications. You know, what I did is I, I took Instagram off my phone this summer. Mm -hmm. I took Twitter off my phone this summer. Nice. I realized that they were creating a constant anxiety loop for me and that I would check them expecting to feel FOMO and anxiety and jealousy and envy and all the things. And then I would feel bad about myself, especially at night before I went to bed. And I, I had this moment with myself of, you're choosing this. You don't have to choose this. And so, you, again, you have agency. I think that exactly. you have agency to declare what's worth your envy and what just isn't. Mm -hmm. And and that's where I just, I love the ex exercise of, of defining your own playing field. Yes. What am I going to choose to really strive for and ex and accept those uncomfortable feelings. Um, Muriel Manion Wilkins, who hosts one of my yeah. favorite podcasts, Coaching Real Leaders, wrote a great newsletter this week about how to handle disappointment. Mm -hmm. And that's a piece of it, is that mm -hmm. when you understand, I'm willing to feel envious, upset, jealous about this, I'm willing to feel disappointment in myself and in life. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. God, that's the worst, but maybe that's where change happens. It, totally. And I, and I, I say totally so many times on this podcast, cause I agree with you completely. <laughs> um, acceptance and commitment therapy. Have you ever done that ACT? I'm upset. I, that's actually my goal is to get trained in it and become I a love practitioner. It. I love, love it, it so much. Love it. To me, that was the thing that changed everything from CBT, like CBT didn't really work for me as well. So, hmm. but, but ACT, I think it was because I was feeling too much. I, you know, mm -hmm. I could cognitively get through the the challenging of those thoughts, but I was still feeling a certain way. But ACT really kind of changed things for me around seeing I need to really just be willing to accept these feelings. I need to be willing to just take them in. And I think, uh, yeah, Muriel's work is amazing. I love that you mentioned yeah. that. Well, maybe we'll close with talking about expansion from ACT. Um, which is an exercise that I love and, um, part of part of what you have to do in ACT is literally look and feel the things, the words that are uncomfortable for you. And um, in expansion, you know, you might have an example of, I didn't, let's take for me. Um, this, I'm not saying this is true, but like my book didn't do what I wanted it to do. I'm disappointed. And literally sit in a room and say, my book was disappointing to me. I didn't do what I wanted. You know, whatever your disappointment, I didn't get a promotion. I think that's one. I look, I got looked over. I wasn't chosen. Mm -hmm. I worked so hard and I wasn't chosen. And to literally sit in the quiet and hear that, that phrase and say it to yourself. And notice how you feel and really, really like meet that head on. Because when you accept the discomfort and the words, some of their power is taken away. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. I don't know if you if you have a practice like that. I uh, no, I, I I try that, and I think it's a powerful practice because it really is the difference between trying to push it away and trying to just welcome it. Yeah, and and let the power kind of of those feelings and words kind of dissipate a little bit uh, in their own time, you know. Because and it's funny because really they are just words, aren't they? You know, if you really think about it, even when you say things like, "Oh, the book didn't do this" or whatever, it's like like if I was in that kind of mindset, my mind would then say, "Oh my God, I did all this work, and I can't believe," you know. But in reality, the look how far you came. Oh my God, you wrote a book. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right? And it's like, it's hard for you to see that because, again, your consciousness is already advanced than people who have never written a book. Right. But, like, if you, you know, from my perspective, I'm like, oh my God, Maura's amazing. I can't believe she did this. Right. So, not to say that it's going to necessarily just magically make you feel better, but I do think that the first step is accepting that I feel like a certain way right now. And then once I commit to just, accepting that I can then start thinking a little bit more rationally about what to, to, to do next. Yeah. You know, so I'm a big fan of that as well. And then the third step is coming back to your values, right? Which is, mm. which is so important, which is, again, my values are this and here's why they were upset by not getting that promotion. Yes. But then also I think you could add the layer of, but who's judging? Is, right. is is there is it is it like Zeus on Mount Olympus and the gods <laughs> like judging me? <laughs> is it myself? Is it just long patterns that I've not managed to break? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like you want the admiration of somebody who is admiring somebody else. You know, it's like oh, they like my employee better than me. You know, that doesn't feel good. That's almost like a love triangle in some respects, if you think about it, right? It's like, that's where jealousy plays in. It's like, okay, do I, is it really deeper than the work? It's actually maybe because I really want approval from this person. But the funny thing about this and being a coach for so many years, it's hilarious how these bosses who we put so much, um, you know, thought and weight to, the minute they leave for another, another company, it's over. They're not even that important anymore because they're gone, right? So sometimes I tell myself, this is all like completely um, temporary. Everything is temporary. You know, nothing is that deep, but it feels that deep when it happens, right? Because because that person seems to be holding all the cards, like you said, Zeus on the mountaintop, mm -hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden they don't. They don't. So, yeah. They don't. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to sum up. There's so many links I want to include. Um, I put it on the, the show page for this event. But um, any words of wisdom to leave people with an action that you'd like them to take? Well, I would just say, you know, in the discussion between you and me, like, I hope people recognize that we're being really honest. You know, we're, these are things that I don't, I don't think I've heard in, in any other podcast in terms of conversations about envy and things like that. And I think that's been somewhat cathartic for us, you know, for myself, just knowing that I have a kindred spirit with you and talking mm -hmm. about it. And I would say for the, for the audience, like that could be quite cathartic for you as well. You know, be open to the idea that you might be feeling a certain way and it's okay. And then, you know, try some of the things we talk about. And then also let us know what's working for you as well. Because yes. I think, you know, bringing that out into the open, it's like, what does that say? Sunlight is the best disinfectant. You know, it really just pulls it out in light and you feel much better as a process. Yes. And we're working on handling disappointment. So if you tell us something, it's good yeah. practice for us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. I will see you in two weeks. Okay, for sure. <laughs> Have a great holiday. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Bye. Bye.
That's it for today. To hear more LinkedIn Lives, head over to my profile on LinkedIn where they're all indexed. You can subscribe to my newsletter too. And be sure to subscribe or follow the Anxious Achiever feed for more of these conversations, as well as my regular podcast episodes. 